0: you that your name is powerful. We thank you that your name is beautiful. And Lord, that's why we're here. We're here because of you. And we want to thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Welcome to church this morning, everyone. Thank you, worship team. That's like one of my favorite songs. i listen to that song, The Way to Work. If you guys didn't notice, today I'm wearing pants. Last time I preached, I wore shorts, and just as I was coming up to preach, Sam Tucker pulls me aside. He was wearing shorts. He pulled me aside and he goes, the preachers are meant to wear pants. (laughs) Rebuked in the lead up to the stage. So I thought that today I might wear pants. I'm I'm from a church where um, the pastor used to wear board shorts. So I sort of got saved at a beach Christian camp thing, and that was sort of my, my model, but I've actually preached more messages wearing shorts than I have pants, <laughs> because the most time I preached used to be at school, so if you guys want to hear any of my sermons speak with Kat or Joy, they used to listen to a couple of them during the week, and they used to be in my school uniform and talking about Jesus, I just preached the same message every week, because I didn't know any other messages, but what I knew was that Jesus was a source of hope, and I could give that out to other people. So today, we're going to talk about words, and we're going to talk about water as part of our... Um, Biblical Algorithms series, a bit of a tongue twister. About two years ago, I went with the family, Sarah and Sarah's family, up to Foster, and they're homeschooling family, which basically means that there is no school holidays, it's just whenever you want, you sort of get to have school holidays, so all of our family holidays are always when there's no one else around, it works really, really well, so all the homeschooling families, tick the box there, save a bit of cash on the holidays, so we went up to Foster. And it was a bit cooler, summer had sort of just finished. And we're walking along the beach we, as, as we do sort of every night. And we're walking with the family. And Sarah's younger brother Aaron, who was about 15 or 16 at the time, goes, Look at that, look in the water. It's like a trough, but then it's so shallow. Just there, there's a big bar. And I was like, Yeah, that's pretty cool. And the water was hectic. Like the waves were crashing every which direction, but there was sort of this calm little section about 20 metres off the shore, where you could just go and be ankle deep in water. And Aaron goes, Mum, can I, can I go out on that bar? Can I go stand on the bar? And like, "Oh, It looks a bit precarious. Like, look out. And, you know, I'm not sure how comfortable I feel with this. All that sort of thing. And I was like, he'll be right. Like, it's just there. It's like 20 metres out. Like, you know, put hairs on his chest sort of thing. So anyway, he goes out and he's, he's running along the bar and he's, he's running. He's like 20 minutes. He's out in the ocean. looks like Jesus walking on water. And he's running across the bar and Roseanne's going... Be careful, Aaron, don't get off the bar, you'll get caught in a rip. Be careful. Like she's yelling out. And I'm like joking. I'm going, like, what's the worst that could happen? Like get sucked out and dies or something like that, Roseanne. Like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sort of joking. And and then he was running and he went off the bar. And then he started swimming because it was so deep. And he was swimming, but you know when someone's swimming in a rip, they don't move? They're putting all this energy in. And I was like, oh no. And then he just, instead of swimming, he just puts his hands in the air like. (laughs) And there was just like this fear in his eyes. And then Roseanne, my mother-in-law, starts screaming. Like, I'm talking like whale screaming, like like really, really upset, like my son's about to die. And I'm like, this really sucks. Like, this is not a good situation. And like, I was watching and I'm like, yeah, like he's in this position. I suppose he's going to have to get himself out. And then Sarah looks at me and goes... You've got to go get him, Will. <laughs> I'm standing there, fully clothed. It's right on dusk. It's just getting dark. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> like, my new clothes. So <laughs> I took off, took off my belt. I took off my shirt. And my sho- I wear shoes on the beach. I know I'm one of those guys. <laughs> so I get, get sore arches and stuff like that. So, like, <laughs> So I took my shoes off. I took my socks off. And I went into the water and as I'm swimming out in the water, I'm having like all of these like thoughts about all of those newspaper articles that you've read where kid gets caught in a rip, father goes in or someone goes in, both drown. And like, (laughs) this is going through my head. I'm like, this is so useless. Like we don't need to sacrifice two people (laughs) as I'm swimming out to my brother-in-law but I was trying to stay calm I tell you what like I love the ocean I love that feeling of getting smashed by a massive wave not knowing whether you're going to come back up to the surface or not <laughs> just being feeling close to God but in that moment I was like this is so rough the waves are coming both directions I'm swallowing well, I wasn't really swallowing water but imagine I was almost swallowing water it was rough the rip was hectic Aaron was like 200 meters out not an exaggeration, I do like to exaggerate, that was not, he was so far out, I'm like, I've got to conserve energy, because I was thinking to myself, okay, when I get to him, he's going to be like absolutely like cooked, he won't have any energy left, so if I get up to him, he's probably going to try to drown me, so I was like, I'm just going to conserve energy, and if he dies before I get there, well, okay, so swimming out, swimming out, and I get up to him, we're so far out, we're in the back breakers, and the waves are just crashing, and every time a big wave comes, he's looking at the wave, and then he's just, and goes under the wave. And when I got out to him, I said, listen, we need to let the waves push us back into shore, which means we can't dive under the waves. We're going to get hit full on with that pressure, so hopefully it'll push us back to the shore. We lived, (laughs) both of us. We got back in, everyone was really upset, but all I could think about was in that moment of deciding whether to swim out or not, I'm like, if I stay on the shore, I'll never forgive myself. So I, plus Sarah told me to go out and like, <laughs> like happy wife, happy life. But I brought him in and, and when, I was, when I was sort of swimming out to him and trying to ma- remain really calm, I just had the voice of my dad in my head who said, don't swim against the rip. You've got to understand that the water is going to be more powerful than your ability. So stay calm. Go with the water. Let the water take you. Remain calm so that you've got the energy as you come out of the rip to then swim. And I was just trying to calm myself with that. So when I got out to Aaron, I'm I'm sharing that with him. So if you want to take notes today, this might save your life one day. (laughs) Stay calm in the rip, okay? That's what the church is all about, right? Life-saving skills, yeah? Because that's what we're called to as Christians, to be the light in the darkness, to bring the name of Jesus into the world. Before we get into the book, actually, I might share with you. When Ben sent me an email about this series, and he said, Oh, doing a seven part series, and it's on the book of Revelations, my first thought was emailing back going, Dude, not really keen on preaching on the book of Revelations. <laughs> like, I don't really understand it. And a lot of people have a lot of opinions, and like, I feel like I'm just going to be openly rebuked on stage. This is what my thinking was. I was like, I've got to be careful with this one because, you know, Sam with the whole pants thing, like, I don't know whether I'm ready for another rebuke like that. So, I started reading through Revelations as soon as Ben sent through, sent through that email with, like, who's preaching on what, and I'm part number seven, I'm the last church guy, so I'll try to wrap it up, not open up too many new wormholes, but um, I'm sort of, like, looking at this passage, and I'm reading through it, and I'm trying to understand it, and I'm looking at, like, Everything John's writing about, and all the imagery, and I'm trying to read the whole, like, sort of the ten verses there, in the context of the whole book, and in the context of like the early Christian church, and all these sorts of things. I'm becoming more and more confused. The more I dug into it, the more confused I got. I've, I've read the um, Felicity put together a really cool sort of like exegesis, explaining the context, and I've read that. I'm like, okay, that that helps, but I'm just like, I'm still so confused as to what I'm going to preach about. So what I want to do to start with, so maybe we can all start on the same path is. Let's talk a little bit about the Bible, before we talk about the verse. See, the Bible is a contextual book. Up until about 500 or so years ago, most Christians never owned a Bible. Did you know that? See, when we talk about the Word of God, John refers to the Word of God as Jesus, but when the Bible talks about itself, it talks about it as the Scriptures. And in the, the beginning of Revelation, says, read this text aloud so that you may be blessed and others may be blessed. The reason they use that passage right there is because in order to read the book of Revelations, you'd have to go find someone that had a Bible or find someone that had the letter so that they could share it with you. So for Christians, for 1,500 years, the majority of what they did was listen and recite and learn. That's how the gospel spread for 1,500 years. They didn't have Bibles or Bible tracts to give out to people. They didn't have word-for-word things, Book of Revelations. They didn't have any sort of breakdowns of what anything meant. So this is how they were sort of preaching the gospel. You see, and when when I look at the, the Bible, I think the Bible is a beautiful book. I think that it brings so much hope to so many lives. But sometimes, I think that we weaponize the Bible. When I talk about weaponizing the Bible... The past 2,000 years has had some pretty dark events for the church. You know when we do those like Christian events, we go to like a third world country and we do like a big sort of revival session, we call it a crusade, you know, let's go dig crusades. For about a billion people in the world, the word crusade has a horrible connotation of when the church went into the Middle East to kill all of the Muslims. They were the crusades can you see how language can be difficult and polarizing see and we did that we the church were a part of that because of what we took out of the book what we took out of the bible what we took out of the scriptures look at the witch hunts guys i don't know if you did like history in school where they talk about how they test if someone was a witch Like, throw them off a cliff. If they fly, they're a witch. If they die, they weren't a witch. (laughs) Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, imagine how many people went off, like... (laughs) No, we won't go there. (laughs) Early Australian history. The church. The stolen generations. Horrific. Not okay. It almost feels like from a few of these events, they're not reading the same Bible that I'm reading or they're not getting the same answers that I'm getting from the Bible. Spent a bit of time in Eastern Africa. You know that in Uganda, it is legal by law to kill someone if they are caught participating in any homosexual acts. Legal by law. It's either imprisoned for life or killed on the street and both are fine. And that message was brought from Western Christians. It's not the same scriptures that I'm reading when I hear about the hope of Jesus and the hope that Jesus has for all of humanity. And when I read the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is not a book of condemnation. It is not a weapon to be used. It is a source of hope. When we talk about this type of scripture every single week, I think everyone that's preached has said the same thing. It's an apocalyptic style literature which comes from the term to lift the veil to reveal the hope to reveal who jesus is see this is what we're talking about there we're not talking about condemnation we're not talking about turn or burn we're not talking about any of that stuff today we're talking about jesus has hope for you and jesus has life for you and you can receive that that's a free gift oh. <laughs> a few weeks ago i went down to um i've been down to melbourne a couple of times the past month for work but. I went down maybe about four or five weeks ago, and I went down with a friend of mine, her name's Shahar, and Shahar's Israeli, she's Jewish, and we got talking, and she said to me, she goes, so you're like a Christian, aren't you? And I was like, oh, this is such a hard question to answer, because I'm probably not the Christian that you think of in your head when someone says Christian, or I probably don't go to the church that you think of, but I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I love Jesus, I go to church, part of a really cool community. She's like, yeah, yeah, like, here's my problem with the church. She opens with this line. Here's my problem with the church. She said to me, if any business or organization in all of history had had the same track record as the church, they'd be absolutely screwed. She used different words, but essentially that's what she said. She said, the amount of cover-ups there's been inside the church, the systemic abuse what people have used the Bible or the church is backed to do. She's like, any organization in the world, if they got caught out that many times, they'd be screwed. And she goes, and I don't think that's fair. So I said to her, well, based on what you've said, based on how you feel about the church, I think maybe the church's reputation is screwed. There's people like you all over the world, rightfully so, looking at what the church has done throughout history and going, I won't be a part of that. But not only will I not be a part of that, I won't even look into that. Jesus says that he draws all people to himself. But if the Christians are preventing that from happening, what are we really doing as a group, as the church today? So we had a good chat about that. Hopefully she sort of realized that not all Christians are the same. Not all Christians wear pants when they (laughs) preach. But... I'll wear pants, don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. I'll wear clothes. But when we, when we get to the book of Revelations, some, sometimes the reason it's so sort of strange to understand and to really adopt some of the meanings from it is because this type of literature is not common to us. Like when we watch World War Z, okay, or one of those apocalyptic end-of-the-world zombie movies, okay, same sort of concept. We sort of watch it and we go, I, I've got a position to put this in my mind because we're probably not going to get overrun by zombies. But, like, it's, it's an enjoyable thing to sort of, like, watch or listen to, and it might tell a story or have some sort of meaning. See, when John's writing this scripture, the Jewish people at the time in the early church, the Christians, had a place to put it in their mind. Because they've read scripture like this before. They've heard scripture like this before. The book of Daniel is completely the same as the book of Revelations in its literary devices and in the way that it's written in the imagery that it uses. So the early Christians and the Jewish people at the time are reading John's message and they're listening to it through a different lens, seeing it through a different lens, listening to it through a different hearing aid. <laughs> part of it is, is understanding the context of the word. And I think, Felicity, if you guys have been doing um, any of the, the study through your Connect group, going through some of the context is so important to these passages, it helps you to understand where to place this in all of history but also where to place it in your mind so i want to read through um the, the passage in Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 to 22. it says this to the angel of the church of Laodicea, write these are the words of the amen the faithful and true witness the ruler of god's creation I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. And Salve, to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my, my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one is, who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches." That's the passage we're going to talk about today, and hopefully we'll be able to break it down into a few bite-sized pieces. So thirsty. Hopefully we'll be able to break it down to sort of understand what's, what's going on in the passage and how that applies today. I think when we first read this passage, lukewarm is such a Christian term. Anyone ever heard a non-Christian say, oh, you know, you're just lukewarm? You know, there's a few words that stand out as Christian words. If you're, like, eavesdropping on conversations, all right, and then you hear someone say, awesome, you're like, I think that person's a Christian. (laughs) Or you hear someone say, lukewarm, you also think, like, that guy's reading Revelations or something like this, Christian language. But I think sometimes we also get it a bit mixed up in our modern church language as well, where we talk about being on fire for God. In this passage, it's not like Jesus is not saying you've got to be on fire for God or you've got to be completely turned off from God and not doing anything. Cold does not represent negative in this verse, okay? So it's not cold or hot. It's talking about being in the middle. But we use this terminology in church all the time. You've got to be on fire for God. So we think hot, hot, hot. Now, if you're running a marathon and you got up to the water table and someone said, don't worry, got some hot water here for you you're probably not going to receive that in the same way if they say, I've got some cool water for you, yeah? You guys understand? Yeah. So when, it's, when this verse is talking about hot or cold, I'd rather you be one or the other, it's talking about being useful. Yeah. See, because lukewarm is useless. Who cooks with lukewarm water? <laughs> You'd think, well, lukewarm's close to being hot. It doesn't take as long to heat up. But cold water is also useful. See, I I look at it like in the context of the church today. We don't all have the same giftings. I thank God, and I'm sure my wife thanks God every single day, that you're not all like me. (laughs) Because we are a body and there are many parts of the body, okay? I'm probably like the appendix at times. But we've all got different roles and responsibilities or giftings, and those things are good. Look at your neighbor and say, what you've got is good. <laughs> See, it's, it's important. It's important to understand that our giftings don't need to be the same because we're not trying to reach the same people. Yeah. Yep. I um, used to work at a little grocery, gro- grocery shop down in Bly Park and used to have this guy come in and he was the father of one of the boys I went to school with. But he was like a tough guy. Like I'm talking big gold chain. He just joined a bikey gang so he would wear his colors across his top and he'd like walk in like this. Like, owns the shop, right? And he had this nickname. I won't tell you his nickname. (laughs) But everyone called him that nickname. That's how people knew him. But I knew his first name. So I said, hey, Greg, how are you, mate? Don't call me, Greg. (laughs) But I used to just love chatting with this guy. And we sort of connected. Like, he'd come to the shop most days. And, like, hardcore alcoholic, a lot of brokenness, a lot of stuff going on in his life. And I used to tell him all the time, hey, man, like, just want to let you know. I'm praying for you, he's like, oh, alright brother, yeah pray for me brother, <laughs> and then one day he went and had, he had an abscess or something like that, and he had to get put under so that they could operate, and he died on the table, they spent a couple of hours reviving him and stabilising him to, to put him on life support over, had taken him from Hawkesbury Hospital to Nepean an Hospital, and they had, he was in ICU on life support for a couple of weeks, And I found out that it had happened. I thought, oh, far out. Like, you know, I should go see him. Like, I should go just pray for him. I don't know about you guys. We spoke about in one of the songs, I still believe in miracles. I definitely still believe in miracles. I think there's power in praying for people in the laying on of hands. So I got to the ICU and apparently they just don't let anyone into ICU. This was pre-COVID as well. Like, it wasn't like, like just hexes everywhere. It was sort of just like, you can only come in if you've got a good reason. So I pressed the little doorbell and I said, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Like, I heard the last pastor of our church just said that to me. He goes, bro, just if you have to go to the hospital, just say you're a pastor. They'll let you in. You're pretty much a pastor. Don't worry about it. Everyone's a pastor. <laughs> so anyway, I got in, and he was in the room. He had to wear the mask, get all the tubes coming out of him, and he's, his mum and dad were there at the time, and he was just laying on this table unconscious. I just said to his parents, hey, my name's Will. You know, I know Greg. Um, I just thought I'd come and just, just wanted to pray for him, if that's cool. And they're like, yeah, absolutely. So I put my hands on him, and I prayed, and I left. And... Probably three or four weeks later, he comes in the shop. He comes in crying. And he goes, dude, he just he hugged me, gave me his big hug, and he goes, You know what? All of my bikey friends, not one of them visited me when I was in hospital. He goes, I didn't know that you visited me until my sons told me after I came up, what woke up, he said, Oh, by the way, Will from the shop came in just to, to pray for you. See, like we're not all called to reach the same people. But it's important to reach the ones in the position where you're at. That's the gospel. Going on a little bit further. I just want to go back to the passage. In verse 16, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. In this this era, in the early church, they were still under Roman rule, and there was a new emperor of Rome called Domitian, and Domitian was the first emperor to claim, whilst he was still alive, that he was God. The first emperor out of all the Romans, a lot of them had been upgraded after they died to some sort of deity, but he said, I am God, or I am a God, so you guys must worship me. So we've got this early church model where there's a lot of Jews in the church, there's a lot of Gentiles now coming into the church as well, and the Roman Empire basically put into place a law which said that everyone must worship the emperor who is God unless you were Jewish, because you guys are monotheistic. And like we recognize that, so you guys were over here. So the Jewish people didn't have to participate in this worship thing. See, it sort of reminds me of book of Daniel, yeah? When they sound the horn, everyone's gotta bow down to the statue. There's a bit of duality here happening. But because there was all these Gentiles in the church that weren't Jews, they had this choice to make. Do I obey the law of the land or do I keep my faith? and keep Jesus where he's supposed to be in my life. When they're talking about richness and wealth in this passage, a lot of what the early church had to do was listen to the laws of the land, have this lukewarm faith, one foot in both worlds, where they still would do what the law expected them to do and worship the emperor, but they still wanted to be Christians over here. Because they could be Christians over here, but they wouldn't be able to sell anything because they wouldn't be allowed to trade if they weren't worshipping the emperor at the time. And that's when, in the next passage, God talks about his wealth, his things. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve so to put on your eyes so that you can see. See, the church of Laodicea was in an area that was known for their textiles. So they were known for their fashion. They were known for their wealth because they were banking capital of all of that sort of Turkish area at the time. But they also had this eye balm that they would distribute. See, they were like the first big farmer, right? They knew that they had something that could heal people's eyes. But God's using this in the context to go, you know what? You might have these physical things, but spiritually what I have to give you means that you might have to lay down some of these physical things. If you want to see, come to me. Because I draw all people to myself. See, this is what Jesus is reaching out to the people about. The reason there is a rebuke in this passage is because the church at Laodicea had nothing different to offer than what the world around them was offering. You know, the best way to become ineffective as a church is to stop offering what people need. Think about that for a second. The best way to become ineffective as a church is to stop offering what people need. Do you know what people need right now more than anything else? Hope. When was the last time you gave someone hope? When was the last time you reached out to someone? Maybe you just picked up your phone, thought about someone you haven't seen for a couple of years and just texted, hey, just thinking about you this morning, just want to let you know I'm praying for you. When was the last time you gave someone hope with your life? When they looked at you, they didn't see the church. They saw someone deeply in love with Jesus. We don't want people to see us through the lens of 60 minutes. That's not how I want to be, be seen by all my non-Christian friends. I want to be seen as someone who brings hope into every situation, who is there, that offers something different. I don't just offer fine clothes. I don't just offer eye balms. I don't just offer normal money. What I offer is hope and hope that lasts for all all eternity. This is what I'm reading from that passage. And right at the end, it says that Jesus is waiting at the door. Jesus actually is waiting for people to experience his hope. And we get to be a conduit for that. I want to read one more passage. I'm burning through my time. Book of John, chapter 12, verses 23 to 32. If you guys didn't know, it's Palm Sunday, another Christian term. You say it's Palm Sunday to any non-Christian, they're like, we're going to the beach, we're going to holiday, where are we going? (laughs) Palm Sunday, um, Jesus goes into, into Jerusalem, that's the word, for a festival, which is a Jewish festival, so everyone's there. And this is like the first time in all of Jesus' ministry that he's sort of recognized for who he is. By the people. They see him as as Lord. And Jesus says this to a group of people, verse 23. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in the world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Down in verse 32, he concludes with this. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Do you guys realize that the people in your life that aren't aren't here today, that aren't in church, that don't believe in God, are still being drawn to Jesus? Even without you saying anything, even without them coming to church, Jesus says right here in this passage that he is drawing all people to himself. Sometimes we just need to help someone hear the knock at the door. Sometimes we just need to give people the opportunity. When I come to preach, unfortunately, most of the times, I'm not here to preach to the people that already know Jesus. They're typically the only ones I offend. (laughs) The ones, but I'm lucky because I'm not trying to reach those people. The people I'm trying to reach are the people that don't know Jesus, that don't know the hope of Jesus. The people I'm trying to reach are not interested in the semantics of the gospel or the eschatology or anything like that, The people I'm trying to reach are interested in hope. That's it. So all of these pastures and everything that we've learned, we can learn from these churches and we can implement this in our lives. And that's important as the church. But remember, we're here to spread the message of hope. That's what all of these churches have in common. John's equipping them, or Jesus is equipping these churches so they can be a source of hope for all eternity, for all people, all around the world. That's what our message is. I want to give people an opportunity this morning. Two opportunities. I don't know the sinner's prayer, just so you know. I've never learnt it. (laughs) So I don't typically do an altar call with the sinner's prayer at the end just because I don't know the words. I'll probably screw it up. But I still want to give people an opportunity to come know Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do something pretty bold, pretty courageous. If this morning you're sitting in the room and you feel like your life is hopeless, maybe you have all the things, maybe you have all the riches, maybe you have all of the comforts. Maybe you have everything that a good life is supposed to look like, but you know deep down that there's a wrestle in your soul. Maybe there's a wrestle in your head. And you need something more, something that the world can't offer. So I want to give you the opportunity right now. Just everyone close your eyes and bow your heads. If that's you this morning and you know that Jesus is at the door and knocking on your heart, I just want you to raise your hand so that I can pray for you. It's good. I'm just going to pray for these people. God, I want to thank you for those that were bold enough to raise their hand this morning. Lord, I want to thank you that you were speaking to them in a language that they understand. Lord, that you were showing them something through eyes that can see you. God, I pray for a softening of their hearts, Lord, to receive your spirit, to receive your life, to receive your hope. God, that your spirit will come and fill them up, Lord, that they would be a new creation, that the old would be gone and the new would come. Lord, we ask right now for your salvation to fill this room, to fill this place. If that was you this morning, I want to encourage you after the service to find someone here in the church, a leader, and just share with them what's going on. Ask for them to pray for you. There's another group of people I want to pray for this morning. Maybe you've been sitting in this room for a really long time. Maybe you know all the church language. Maybe you know and understand all of the book of Revelations. But maybe you're sitting here and you know that you've become ineffective at reaching people with a message of hope. Maybe it's because you're too scared to speak out. Maybe it's because you're too shameful of stuff you're doing in your life and you think, well, I can't talk about Jesus because these guys know what I'm really like. Maybe you're sitting here and you need to come back to that first love, that fire, that joy, that boldness, that courage. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you and the, and the Christians around you can also pray for you. That's good. That's what the church is about. It's about it's equipping brothers and sisters to share the gospel. If you're sitting next to someone with their hand raised, just... Put your hand on their shoulder and we're just going to pray for them right now. God, I want to thank you for the witness of all the people in this room. Lord, I want to thank you that there are people sitting here today that are responsible for being the conduit through which you travel to see other people in this room get saved. And Lord, I want to pray right now for great boldness and a great courage to come over this building, to come over these people. Lord, to come over this church. Lord, that we would be a church known for the hope that we have we wouldn't just be a church known for our awesome worship or for our cool lights or how we set up the chairs, but Lord, we'd be a church known for the hope that we bring to this community and beyond. Lord, that this community would be just a place where people would come and they would, they would feel like they are loved, God. They would feel like they are cared for, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill these people up right now, Lord. Lord, that we would go out and that we would be witnesses to all the nations, Lord. That we would bring a message of hope, God. Lord, that we would not bring a message of condemnation, Lord. For you said in John 3, 17, you did not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Lord, that is the message that we have to share today, that you have come into this world and that you can save people from their situations right now. You're not just saving them from heaven or hell, but Lord, you're saving them from their mental health right now, God. You're saving people from their addictions right now. Lord, you're saving people from their hardships, from their health concerns, Lord. You're saving people from this life, God, because in this life, God, we know that it can be hard. We know that it can be tough. We know that it strips all hope from our lives. But God, you bring hope. So right now, I pray that every single person that bears the name Christian in this room would go out and bring hope to all nations. In Jesus' name. Amen.